all night with tree people. The time arrived to visit all the landmarks and vistas that I grew fond of over nine months, and even some others I intended to inspect, knowing this may be the final chance. A literal last hurrah. A final curtain call to all the treasured places that earn titles. Another mountain adventure would have been the finest means to survey my exploits, but a glaring shortage of mental resources could be mustered to make yet another climb. Re-examining the hallowed grounds by foot would have to do. I first found Saltemontes Field, my prime hillside for sunbathing and terrorizing grasshoppers. Apparently, they had forgiven me as their aggressive and oblivious jumps passed all around in all directions like futuristic space cars without a care, their wings buzzing with constancy. Boyle Lake provided a chance to stand humbly on the south bank and reminisce about those appalling inadequacies as a fisherman. The place where I had caught my only fish, and barely worth claiming that based on the size and edibility, hardly worth the meat. Luckily, Andy had better luck at fishing throughout the previous fall. This gave some chances to do some cleaning. The task is not terribly complicated, but practice makes perfect, especially when there is not much meat, and, as with trout, the bones sought to be part of the fillet. Such a small lake served a menacing hint of how much keener the fish were than I. Onward to the butt squeeze, flanked by the concealed tunnel we so blindly drifted through last November. Next, the marshy area to the north of Whitefish Lake, where I spotted the wolf. Not another wolf would be seen, or a howl heard, but only in my memories. Heading south, I expected to meet my old friend's scout, who stationed there to greet me countless times before. But, unfortunately, only his absence would pass. I straddled the tracks down to Suicide Squeeze to see what kind of moron would foolishly venture through such a perilous segment not once, but twice. The skeletons of deer remained a persistent reminder of the punishing consequences for portions of those tracks. Had I been on the train during one of those deer slaughters? Through the patches of snow on north-facing slopes, I trailblazed until arriving at Beaver Lake, where my bladder cringed at past fishing exploits. The spirit of my February moose encounter would remain with a brisk pass through Woods Lake, and then on to the cattails of Thornburg, each place earning some time to pause. Kick My Ass Peak gave the ever-welcoming view that never failed to whisper melancholy reminders that I would soon leave the West. The last place on the tour would be Murray Lake, but felt compelled to stop as I passed the vicinity of an area that drew some intrigue for some time. Off of the path, a short trample rested a rock face that led to a potential top-notch view. Though not structurally a 100% incline, some sections earned a near resemblance. The base lay at about a 45-degree incline comprising rocks and roots with periodic saplings. This phase shot upwards some 30 feet, all the while keeping that stated grade. Beyond the base became the next segment that bent upright to about 20 to 30 more feet of mostly vertical climbing. A past visit allowed sheepish dabbling around where the upturn began, but no full attempt was made. 
The rock seemed fairly crumbly at some points, and holding out for better weather would mean better holds with bare hands. I wasted no consideration in attempting to climb this time. That decision had been made on the last exploration. There would be no other opportunities for this, though a whole day's worth of adventures burnt much sunlight. The first part proved easy, just a bear crawl through rocks, roots, dirt, and shrubs. Upon greeting the base of the almost vertical face, the top seemed well within reach. I needed the challenge of climbing this part and called for that panorama to capstone a meaningful day. Other sections were probably easier for ascension, but would have to fight and weave through thick brush and briar. By no means was I an expert rock climber, but I have climbed a fair amount of these types of surfaces before. Plenty of tall trees could be added to that mix. I have repelled and climbed with a harness. Why not try it? The route looked to be only twenty minutes with ample time to seek a sunset view while safely getting back down before darkness fell completely. With any luck, the top might reveal a backside that would allow for a smoother return towards the cabin without a need to shimmy back down from the same path. I started to ascend, and the paths were fairly easy. Easy grabs, easy footholds, nothing that exposed me. Confidence beamed once two-thirds had been conquered and realized I worked myself into a problem. I had surged to a point where no clear path further remained. I had absolutely nowhere to continue upward. A glance downward only showed risk, coming as no surprise. Going down usually is much harder. A cautious inspection to either side uncovered no viable routes. I calculated my options extensively, long enough to see the sky change colors in the background. I was missing the sunset. Some urgency sifted into my consciousness. I looked down at a section. To the left of that protruded from the face about ten feet away and ten feet down. The slope dropped at about a forty-five-degree angle, similar to the first part of my climb, and had a decent-sized tree firmly rooted in place. That tree possessed a perfectly placed limb that should be sturdy enough to support my weight bearing down. Beyond the tree presented a clean route to the bottom where the main path would be. The hard part meant getting over to that tree, and the rim I stood on gave only a meager two feet wide by three feet long surface, if that. Just deep enough to turn around and take a few baby steps in both directions. Perhaps with a tiny running start, almost like the basketball layup motion, there should not be much issue propelling over to the spot with the desired branch. But what if I slipped in this awkwardly crammed motion? I stood not at a fatal height, but several glances down revealed a possible broken bone distance, or at least a plunge that may meet with a heavy sprain. The thought of having a broken foot or leg trying to walk back to the cabin a mile away in darkness did not seem suitable. Late spring also meant the bears were awake and extremely active at night with desperate hopes to restore their past body weight. I glanced at the sky periodically, watching the light dim more and more like a slow time-lapse movie with clouds drifting past. With visibility fading, the ability to discern where the tree ended and the shadows began deteriorating rapidly. My confidence forecasted a better-than-average chance of making the jump without issue, without a scratch even.
but that same confidence had put me in this position to begin with. I made ready to jump, rehearsing first in my head and then pacing back and forth on the small surface that I was left to work with. I then reset back to a posture of self-doubt. The temperatures continued plunging. The daytime had been fairly warm, so I only had my trusty blue hooded sweatshirt and jeans, hardly prepared for periods of inactivity beyond the warmth of the sunlight. The sky remained clear, meaning there probably would not be rain, but the temperature would assuredly drop faster. The absence of clouds would allow that precious ground heat an unfettered escape. What would Frontier Francis do? I mulled the situation over and quickly revealed a final ruling in favor of the lunacy. I wanted to see what it would be like to be stuck on a ledge at night, all night. One last hurrah it'll be for the sake of experience, one for the journals. Though I had lost track of time amidst the tumultuous and mildly frantic self-realization of my predicament, I calculated there to be roughly nine hours until sunrise. That rocky platform was not very conducive to sit because no grips could be found to right myself back up to my feet. Staying on that ledge all night meant doing so upright. And with a standing position, there could be no chance for sleep. For falling asleep would be too much of a risk with even leaning on the ledge of the wall promoting danger. I passed the first few hours tickled by my decision to stay out with intermittent chuckles of realizing what a boob I can be. I grew eager to tell Andy about this adventure with an unwritten ending. I was fairly certain that we had something planned for that night, but he became well past being accustomed to my random and unplanned camping nights. I fought hard to keep my mind busy with graceful thoughts of all the fortunate adventures I had the chance to partake in. I reveled about such a perfect day visiting all of my hallowed spots. How many people can genuinely say they have been able to do what we did all this time? I felt so blessed to be in Whitefish, even while standing out on that ledge, freezing. Hours passed by, and the temperature kept sinking. It would bottom out at around 40 degrees, and doing some motions to create friction worked only so much. The rock I leaned against quickly became an ice pack. The surface had been cold all along, but worsened, drawing away prized body heat. There remained enough illumination from a full moon to see my ledge, but my eyes became unreliable. Into the horizon, to another ridgeline several hundred yards away, there boasted a silhouette of trees that kept catching my attention. I kept thinking there were people at the top. A few deliberate blinks chased the delusions away, but as time wore on, those trees at the skyline that came to be known as Standing People's Ridge were slowly becoming actual people, tree people. But why are they just standing there? The sleep deprivation caused some vivid hallucinations, almost to that point where I fully believed people were standing out there with me the whole night. Almost, but not quite. As it turns out, Sleep deprivation is far, far worse than cabin fever. I wedged between reality and dreaming, almost trance-like. There were not actual people out there, but somehow my tree-people friends kept me company the rest of that night. I never felt alone. The sky lightened up gradually. The temperatures rose. 
I outlasted nine hours on a ledge fighting through sleep deprivation with a penetrating chill. Time to make my move. I started with some limber stretches to ensure my muscle flexibility could handle the spring and impact. There was not much left to deliberate on. I had done that all night. I formed the twinkle-toed ballerina steps and leaped. The branch arrived as expected while I clung on as tight as my hands and arms would allow. My lower body flung through the catch, but not with nearly enough momentum to force my arms to release. My legs rocked to a steady vertical hang, and then I dropped a foot below, making sure to keep some secure footing. I descended effortlessly and surveyed my work. A night on the ledge. I waved goodbye to the tree people over on Standing People's Ridge and drifted over to Murray Lake to take the sight in. There were fishermen at the shores, as almost always. Always. I brewed up some ideas that rumbled around in my head specific for old Murray and her band of eager anglers. I would find the cabin soon after. It's hard to enjoy sleeping in a bed, then breakfast, and coffee much more than I did on that day, following the all-night bender with tree people.